I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for other drive to work, coronavirus edition. So using my time at home to do interviews, which is harder to do in the car. Um, and so today I have Dave Humphreys and we're going to talk all about uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Hey, Dave. Hey, how's everyone? Okay, so this is a set in which I led the vision design and you led the set design. So um, uh, you and I were the, the two main design people on this set as far as leading stuff. So um, mostly I want to talk about set design because I, I if people want to hear about vision design, I, I have a whole podcast on that. Um, so let's start the story of you get handed the set. I mean, now you were on you were on the vision design team, so it wasn't like you didn't know what was coming. But let's start the story with okay, you put your set design team together and you start set design. Yeah. So right again, th this was certainly a little bit of a tricky setting for me, just in terms of like I'd played the original Kamigawa block. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly don't know some of the trope space in the in the background here as much as a lot of other people. So. I was really trying to reach out and look for for other people who you know would be inspired and able to and able to help sort of shore up my weaknesses. Um, I, I reached out to sort of people on our dual masters team to see if anyone from the Tokyo office could help out, and um, you know I, I pretty quickly found out that uh, like Koichiro Maki um, would be able to join us at least for some of our meetings, and then like uh, like also in in house Yuki Fuji would help translate for him during our meetings. And we also had some one-off meetings and just, I, I wanted to get right off with a, a perspective of, yeah, like, you know, what's gonna seem, what's gonna seem appropriate for like a Japanese Japanese audience and sort of the, the sensibilities that they felt would make sense. And so I was, I, yeah, at first I was just really excited to be able to bring that perspective because I, I knew there, yeah, there, there would be a lot of issues that we would want to treat right. And it was just, I'd be curious in terms of like weighing in, like what were popular mechanics and cards and what, what did we not do right? And uh, so yeah, Maki and Fuji were, were great help in getting the ball rolling. And we had a lot of other people super excited in house, like Daniel Holt and, you know, and some of the other people coming from, from vision like Ari. Yeah. So the, so one of the challenges of this set is normally when we do a return, we lean heavily into the original source material mechanically as well as creatively. So, you know, when we go back to Ravnica, it's, it's, it's all about the guilds. And, you know, normally we lean heavily into the mechanical space that we'd been before. But this set, the first time it was not mechanically well-received, right? So one of the challenges was how do we go back to Kamigawa but still, like, this wasn't, this wasn't Kamigawa Part 2 in, in a mechanical sense. Right, yeah, we, we spent a lot of time looking at the old mechanics, and yeah, it just frankly, there wasn't a whole lot there. I mean, yeah, there there were there were cycles of things and whatnot that we, we definitely latched onto. I mean, ultimately, right, I mean, even at handoff, we didn't think that the main set would have ninjutsu. Um, actually, part, part of the conversations I was just alluding to and for some other just studies we did and surveys, like, really made, made me feel like we really needed to do ninjutsu or a variant of it. I mean, I know we were shying away from it because um, what would become modified or was enhanced at the time, right, that there was a concern that, like, oh, this, this, this is a big part of what got built in Envision, that you would put counters and equipment and, and um, you know, and, and auras on your creatures and that that just wouldn't work with ninjutsu, right? You'd like, you don't want to bounce your um, creature that's unblocked um, if, it, if you've invested time putting putting those components onto your creature and that ninjutsu didn't feel like a good, good, um, 
good thing to be adding. Like we, we did actually try an Ninjutsu variant that um, that let you keep all those things, and um, in the end, it just didn't feel like it was it was worth adding in something that was kind of similar but a little bit different um, with that rules tweak. I mean, there were some confusing things in the rules tweak in terms of explaining it. Like we'd have to like, I mean, it's a small thing or it seems like a small thing, but even just coming up with a name that was going to be satisfying was maybe going to be tricky. And I mean, also okay. in the end, just the gameplay was pretty swingy. Like if you could. Yep. Can I explain? Ant- let, let me explain if what we're talking could. about. Cause the audience, I mean, you and I know what we're talking about, but um, the mechanic in question was um, like ninjutsu, but you, you changed the creature, but everything attached to the creature stayed. Like, you exchanged it rather than unsummoned it and put a new one in. It sort of took its place, if you will. Yep, yep. Right, so, yeah. So, I mean, again, it, it seemed like a good solve, and I, I think, like, and mechanically it solved a lot of the reasons why we didn't want to include the mechanic in the first place, but then it, it, it ended up, among other, besides the things that I mentioned, it just ended up being, like, kind of too strong that you could... You could ninjutsu and keep all that stuff. It was it was pretty swingy if you were able to pull it off. Um, and, and like, I think we also realized the more and more we play tested anyways. Like, if if we just use the original ninjutsu, like a lot of the modified rewards are mostly in red and green. Um, and you know, with ninjas being blue, blue and black, and like with ninjas, you're trying to go wide rather than kind of build up your stuff. It like there actually didn't end up being as much overlap between those things in a competing way as as you as we might have thought. So it, it all just played out pretty well, and it was nice to be able to return to the original mechanic. Um, and then yeah, I guess like channel is one of the other uh, <laughs> returning mechanics, which is just a super versatile mechanic. Like you can kind of do anything with channel. It's almost it's almost too versatile in some ways. Like and I and I definitely use that mechanic to try to be my smoothing mechanic. Um, right. Like there are a lot of things you can do with channel, but like none of the other mechanics on the set lend themselves to like being smoothing mechanics, which by that, I mean, just like if you, if you mana flood or mana stall or get the wrong mana or whatever, like that we can lean on channel, let your cards be modal. And so you can right like if you can do something, if you have less mana or more mana. And, and I also tried to lean into designs that also like just even beyond that, like help you get lands or help you like kind of cycle the draw card or things like that. Yeah, the, the, actually, the, my biggest strike against channel, right, is kind of like my strike against kicker. It's just so universal that it kind of covers 8,000 other mechanics, you know. Right, we did We did end up putting it, like, in order for a card to have channel, it needs to be an artifact or an enchantment, which doesn't mean a whole lot mechanically. It just it, it gives you a little bit more of an expectation of where to find the... The mechanic. There is one exception, though. By the way, so when oh, we yeah, hand yeah, it yeah, over, forgot, yeah, yeah we hand it over. We said just artifacts and enchantments, but you did you did add it to one other card type. One one big exception, yeah. And also for lands, yeah. Like yeah. I felt like, yeah, we put it on lands. I felt like that was, um, yeah, just it, like I, I'm probably one of, one of the biggest detractors from doing legendary lands in general. So I mean, it's kind of funny that I ended up doing a set with legendary lands here, but I felt like yeah, channel. Channel alleviated enough of my concerns about uh, legendary lands to give that a shot here, and I, I feel like yeah, it it tested well enough, and it's it's nice to be able to do something like legendary lands um, once in a while for flavor. Um, so yeah, that if you if you draw multiple copies, hopefully you can find another use for your copy. Um, you know, certainly you can still draw multiples and wish that you know they weren't legendary, but um, right that there was enough flexibility to try that out there, and then as well on those I. 
have the cost reduction on those referencing having other legendary um, uh, creatures to kind of be a, a further callback to some of the original Kamigawa themes and to um, also, frankly, to help differentiate them more from uh, the Zendikar um, Rising uh, MDFC lands, because otherwise they'd, they'd be, yeah, I don't know. It, it just helped distinguish them a little bit more. So let's talk a little bit, uh, since you mentioned Legendary. So one of the things, probably one of the biggest things about original Kamigawa block that kind of got the notoriety was the fact that we had so many legends in it. Like, at the time, just so the audience understands, like, a set might have four, five, maybe six legends in it. And Chance of Kamigawa said, like, every creature at Rare was a legend. That was very unheard of at the time. And I think the... I think the popularity of Commander really is one of the things that kind of puts this giant spotlight on a Champions of Kamigawa, you know, many years after the fact. So how did you handle the legendary theme? Right. So, I mean, the tricky thing is that, you know, between now and then we, we've sort of make, made like Legends Matter sort of became a bit of a, a Dominaria theme or, you know, certainly we, we played it up in, in that set. Um, so I was a little bit of worried about stepping on the toes of that for what we want, might want to do in the future there. Um, I, I did like, you know, it was, I forget who pointed this out to me, but I, I believe the original Kamigawa block has 102 possible commanders. And if I'm not mistaken, only one of them is multicolored. Um, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> so, so like, I don't know. It, it more or less just occurred to me that like, you know, wow, if, if you love this plane, there's just so much we can ease. There's so much low hanging fruit in terms of like, we can just make, we can make multicolored commander and that, you know, just in and of itself, that's going to have a ton of appeal here now. And like that, yeah, that beyond that, we wouldn't necessarily need to do a, a whole lot more. There's there, I promise you there's, there's a lot going on in the set and we didn't necessarily need to, uh, to go too deep into that space. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think there are some callbacks, you know, besides the land there, there are a few other things too, but we, uh, I, I, I chose not to play that up as a, as a huge theme. Right. But there are, one of the the inside jokes in R and D is that uh, a Dave Humphrey set has a lot of legends in it. So, oh yeah, there there are a lot of legends. There just aren't as many cards as maybe you'd expect referencing legends. I guess. Sure. Well, I mean, once again, it's it. I think the thing you you hit is there are a lot of legendary creatures and legendary other things in the set. So that 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 feel of legendariness is very much there. Legendary matters wasn't played up as much, right? Because Dominari is uh, around the corner. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there, yeah, there are a lot. Yeah, there are a lot of legends. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the count, but yeah, it, it's up there. As you said, a lot of my sets have been getting that uh, <laughs> notoriety or whatnot. Um, okay, so what else? Like, uh, what was the most challenging thing for you of of set design for this set? Like, what what was the what were the big challenges? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, let's see. I mean, there, there are a lot of little things that were kind of in the weeds that are maybe fun to talk about. But yeah, I mean, some of the, yeah, I mean, the, the ninjutsu stuff I talked about was tricky. I mean, just in terms of a process standpoint, it was actually kind of hard to balance out the artifacts and enchantments in terms of just process-wise. I had to commit to art and concepts were like, which creatures did I want to be artifacts and which creatures did I want to be enchantments and and sort of making sense of that too just in talking with Emily in terms of like the creative side of things and how that would appear on art and not be confusing but like what you know we, we have you know we've done artifact sets we've done uh, enchantment sets we haven't really kind of done a mix of the two and that's those characteristics matter a lot in terms of some of the early deadlines that I needed to hit in terms of 
or concepts. Um, so again, in some ways that's kind of in the weeds, but I think also kind of just an interesting thing in terms of the flow of the process. Yeah. Let me, um, you know, I just want to explain something for the audience so they understand this. So, uh, we have what we call art waves, which means at certain times we send out art and normally in a large set, usually there's two art waves. Sometimes there's a third depending on how it breaks. But, um, and what happens is you have to commit to things like you have to commit to some amount of art. And the tricky thing about a set like this set is an artifact creature looks a certain way and a enchantment creature looks a certain way. You can't just later change it. And so when you have art that kind of locks you in mechanically, it becomes more tricky on sets that do that. And that's what Dave's talking about is like this set had a lot more what the art is means what the mechanic is in a way that's harder to change it later. Right. So yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot of just like you know, oh, we have the samurai. Should it be an artifact samurai or an enchantment samurai? And yeah, like what's you know, how is this? How are all these things going to inter interlock in terms of like the color pair themes and like what you know, what's going to end up kind of like siloing a card into a certain strategy? Like oh, only only this one color pair is going to want this if we if we choose this type or don't choose this type and trying to trying to you know just get get all the mesh coming together in the right way where all, all these pieces interlock in the right way and that like we're not overdoing any one theme and that yeah we have some cards that are options for decks and maybe cards that actually do kind of intentionally flow to one deck in a draft um if we want it to yeah it's it's interesting that i artifacts versus enchantments seems like a theme we would have done long before now. But the more I think about it, the more I realize that it wasn't until we built up a lot of artifact conventions in our in our design and a lot of enchantment conventions. Like, we didn't kind of have the technology really to do this until now. Um, and that... There's some themes that seem like, why didn't we do this long ago? But I, I just didn't think we have the, the infrastructure to sort of build it long ago. Right. And, and to elaborate a little, I mean, it, it, it's further complicated by the fact that we sort of have like white and black, which we're trying to strike a balance between the two. Right. Like what, what you said there almost implies sort of like a two sided conflict. But that's like that's also not really what's going on here where there's yeah, yeah there's also like, yeah, like white and black as a color pair is trying to integrate both artifacts and enchantments. So, yeah, there's. Yeah, there, there, there was a lot going on in terms of like how all that had to come together. And again, even even just making sure that there were enough of each type to make sure like that the white black color pair worked and things like that, as well as the color pairs that were more like green white is more about like really all enchantments and blue reds more about like all artifacts. And, you know, again, th those are at least things you can do. There's I, I try to have my sets be pretty open ended in terms of how you can draft them. Yeah, one of the I guess Scars of Mirren was the classic example where the way it settled when it would finished was it was to one side or the other that either you cho you chose one side, you chose the other side. It was hard to mix and match the two sides. And that one of the things we do now is even in sets that have like a conflict from a flavor standpoint, we still need you to be able to play pieces from both sides in some decks. Right. And so like this set had to be something where, Hey, you could play one side, you could play the other side, but we needed to give you reasons to mix and match them. And that, that, that a lot of the structure of the set was built around how and why would you do that? Yeah. I liked, I liked also how modified played into that and in that it, yeah, it, it had incentives like, right. That, right. You could get stuff for plus one, plus one counters and uh, right. Equipment and, and auras, right? Like that, that, that was bringing in again, multiple, multiple card types and like a reason to be playing both sides as well to, to maximize trying to be able to do that. So 
one one of the things that like it was interesting in handing this off was um, in some ways the set had two elements to it, right? It, it like half the set was kind of like Kamigawa Part Two, where you were doing a lot of old thing, like you were referencing the old set, and part of the set was like brand new, like like in some level we did a brand new Japanese themed set. You know, it was disconnect in some way. It was a brand new thing. Um, how did you bridge those two things together to make them feel like it was one singular thing? Yeah, yeah, that's probably a tricky one to answer. I mean, I, I mostly was, yeah, really trying to rely on on other people's feedback of making sure it still felt like enough of the old. I mean, yeah, in particular, again, people like Daniel Holt and others were like, is, is this still doing justice to enough of the old? Because, again, in many ways, I was trying to build something new and exciting, and I feel like... In many cases, that's where to some of my strengths lie as a designer. So, like, I'm certainly pushing was pushing on the new here, but right, trying to make sure that we still had you know plenty of stuff that was going to appeal to the, the fans of the plane for many many years. Um, and then, yeah, you know that that came through. Like again, I think like having ninjutsu like helped a ton in terms of that balance. Like I think the sagas themselves and playing up the traditional side really let us help deliver, especially on the creative side of like what might appeal to some of the old fans. So I, I felt like yeah, it's kind of funny in a way where like the the set itself was kind of speaking to that balance of like right that there's there's a traditional element that's going to apply. In many cases, maybe to some more of the traditional fans, and again, like the right, the newer side maybe will apply to yeah some of the more recent players. So it kind of had that real world overlap that was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, there was, you know, I was pretty excited in terms of just some of the new stuff we did here. Like we haven't touched on um, right the the you know creature creature. Uh, uh, equipment, which are kind of cool in their own way, just like that. Yeah, that that felt like a really cool, new, exciting thing to be doing. Like we certainly like, it, yeah, and we haven't touched much on vehicles either. Like, right, there, there's a, the whole a whole kind of technology aspect that we were uh, able to really play up here and and make feel very new in terms of the new side of things. Okay, we well, brought a bunch of mechanics. So let's talk some of the mechanics. So let's start with reconfigure. That is the equipment that sort of comes to life. The creatures that can become equipment. Um, yep. So it's funny when I look at this mechanic, it, 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 I always listens are the thing that I always go to. So um, the very first set I led, which was called Tempest, there are these um, creatures that could become um, auras, and you go back and forth between being an aura and being a creature. Um, how did you? How did you think of reconfigure? What was? What was? What was how did you put it in your head? Yeah, I mean, I, I frankly loved it. I mean, again, I don't know that I had much to do with creating it, but yeah, I, I thought it was great initially. I just con conceptually the idea of like, right, uh, yeah, a creature that could kind of hop on and be some of your like body armor or weapon or whatever just really resonated with me. Um, so I loved it. I mean, I, I feel like some right there there are some elements to like that could re create repetitive gameplay. I mean, like equipment can can kind of re uh, create repetitive gameplay if you're not. Uh, careful with it, you know, sort of, certainly that was on my mind. I mean, similar, like, with the samurai mechanic that I ended on, so that was certainly a note, but I mean, one, one thing I did like about Reconfigure is that, like, equipment has a problem, like, if you build an equipment deck, like, you can draw, like, all your equipment and not enough creatures, or you can draw, like, all your creatures and not the equipment, and then your deck's not doing it. Like, e either way, there's, like, a potential for, like, not your pieces A and B not coming together and things just not really working out in a game, and, like, so, I mean, I, I think it's really cool here that, right, that these are Right. If you just draw a bunch of these, you have creatures to put equipment on and and like, yeah, think things just kind of naturally work out in that way. And you're, you know, 
your gameplay is going to be pretty solid no matter what. And I also like at the same point where like at some point these are like likely to be creatures, right? Like when you play them, they're creatures like it, you know, certainly you can maybe equip them right away. But then if you kill that creature, it comes back as a creature. There, there are going to be windows where your opponent can interact with these cards as creatures. And almost every deck limited, constructed, otherwise has ways to deal with creatures. So it, it also eliminates some of the like frustrating parts of like ah oh, like i can't get rid of this equipment it just keeps doing this over and over and it's not fun i don't have you know enough ways to deal with this so like there are going to be ways to interact with these cards which like so i, I don't know i i kind of just i, I kind of just love the mechanic okay so let me talk about another mechanic this one that changed a little bit we'll talk about this uh sagas you mentioned sagas so when we handed over the file we had sagas that turned it into creatures um but one difference is we handed over as a one-sided thing and we made note, my document I handed off at that. I'm like, this could be double face, but we're going to try doing a single face. So what, how, let's talk a little bit about the evolution, how you ended up with double face sagas. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned it. I actually had forgotten that they were single faced when I started. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to remember how well I can remember that story. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it just felt natural for them to be double face cards. I, I think now I'm vaguely remembering just conversation like what, what's going to be the most awesome card and I mean some of this may have been, been talking with like Aaron or you know Aaron Forsyth or Bill Rose and whatnot in terms of like right just trying to sort out like you know what's the best presentation of the card like you know if if you have to try to capture like somehow like the saga story and the creature itself like that's not as cool as just being able to yeah separately show you uh the visual of the saga and then like a visual of like this really cool creature that you get at the end and i i i think the genesis of the change probably was then mostly from what i can remember just in like we we want to show you the the best visual um output of of what we're trying to convey on the mechanic yeah i mean one of the challenges of double face cards is they do such a good job of like telling the story and showing the you know the change between like it's so good at doing that and uh it, it is very tempting i don't know it, it's I, I do agree that the saga creatures are just better being double face cards um but i'm also sympathetic to like okay not every set should have double face cards in them so right we did we did make one pretty late like actually maybe the biggest late change in the whole process was actually on sagas which was for the most of playtesting, they just transformed, which meant that they basically had haste. Um, and so, yeah, pretty late in the process, we decided that, like, uh, that's just we need we need to give opponents another turn to inter interact with them as a creature. Um, and then, yeah, then we can put power back elsewhere on the card. And it's not just all about like this creature getting to hit you before you've had a chance to, to interact with it. Um, so and, and again, it, it all, <laughs> in a silly sort of way, that's totally invisible to our players. Like I had a lot of kind of goofy worded cards that were like putting counters and stuff on permanence so that you could put your counters on your saga. So when it transformed, it would still have the counters and be modified. And like w once we decided to have it exile and return, then I, I have a, see, I was able to clean up a lot of cons to read more like normal comments, but that's, that's sort of just a side, side amusing story. But yeah, um, I was trying to get the best of all worlds and in the end, yeah, like by having it, having them exile and return as a creature. And then like that, yeah, you'd have a turn with them blocking instead of coming right over. Um, ended up, I think, yeah, just playing a lot better in the games weren't, weren't we, we were finding limited was like a little bit too much pressure going on when they all had haste okay another mechanic so th th this one's an interesting mechanic so we're talking about modified so this is a mechanic that was in another set that you led that i think you removed from the set and then uh this is a different set that we put it in and this time you didn't remove it from the set so um 
the mechanic was originally made for call time. Um, so let's talk a little bit about wh why not call time? Why here? Like, more about why here, I guess, than why not call time. But wh what was it like sort of getting a mechanic for the second time that you got rid of last time? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, certainly, uh, yeah, that means I'm going to have some reservations. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm going to struggle to remember back to call time on why it cut. I mean, again, call time had a lot of stuff going on, too, um, right? That I think, like, the only remnants of that is, like, on, like, one card I can think of. There, there are probably more, but, like, the... What, I think the there are three minutes. cards that, ref that reference, like, yeah, right. being enchanted and, and some or, of those or ended quick. up with slightly different wordings yeah. where, like, right? I, I think, I mean, that, that expression of the mechanic, I believe, was, I, again, maybe it was more, like, modified to start with, but, like, then we moved to, like, caring about if your power was greater, greater than your starting power or your base power. Oh, right, and, right, yep, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I mean, I was a little skeptical. I mean, even again, uh, right? Everyone has personal taste. I mean, modified here, I was still kind of skeptical on. I, I was also feeling the pinch of like it being a little bit tricky with ninjutsu, and you know, to, to me personally, like, like I kind of like it, it wasn't something that I kind of got as much as some of the other stuff. But I, I knew like a lot of the a lot of the vision work had been built around it, and there were a lot of people on my team that really liked it. I mean, you know, I, like. I, I think in the end, again, a lot of this was just me listening to other people. Like I was like, you know, asking people, oh, do you like this? And like, you know, again, from my from my perspective, <laughs> seeing things like kind of hoping people are going to say they don't like this so I can, you know, change it like, you know, and but that wasn't the feedback I got. A lot of people really liked it. So like, again, that's right. I don't know. Like, it's just a funny thing in terms of the way like, right. A lot of my job is just to listen to what other people's feedback is like. I, it's not a mechanic that's like I find super exciting, but a lot of people loved it. So it stayed in there and it's a pretty big part of the set. Yeah, it's also an interesting tale on how magic has a lot of things it can do and that different things make sense in one place and don't make sense in another. And like you could have the most awesome mechanic and it just doesn't fit somewhere because it just doesn't tie into what the, what the rest of the set is doing. But then in the right environment, it, you know, like I think modified just worked really well here because it linked the two sides in a way that was really helpful. And the, the material we were playing around with, you know, a lot of the, the, the Japanese pop culture stuff, like it's very big in, in, in a lot of the stories that you see, you know, coming out of Japan. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a new thing to do and a different thing to care about. And uh, yeah, as you just said, and I said earlier, yeah, like I, I liked how it tied together where each, each you know, aura, auras and equipment were both lending a thing from their respective side of the kind of the, the spectrum of things in terms of tradition to tech. Like also, I, I think I eventually figured out like, one of the things I kept moving, I kept moving more and more of the designs to kind of almost be more in a tribal space. Like I, I was a little bit worried about the gameplay might be like, I'm just going to toss everything on this one creature, right? Like a lot of the initial designs were, if this is modified, it gets, it gets better. And then like, you, like there wasn't enough reason to kind of diversify how you were modifying things. And I kept, I kept making more and more designs that were like kind of more tribal bonuses, like the more modified creatures you had, like, the better, you know, that's where the rewards would be. And then, like, I don't know, I, I found that sort of, a, right, that 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 alleviated a lot of my concerns. So, like, I'm not that excited about, like, somebody throws all their threats on one creature and, right. like, it, it either wins the game or it doesn't. If it gets answered, you lose. If, you know, it doesn't get answered, you win. Like, that's just not the gameplay I was necessarily hoping to build up. But, like, as I made more and more of the rewards trying to tell you to, like, put a, put a counter on this and an enchantment on this and an equipment on this one and, like, if you have four of them, you get a bonus for having four of them. Like, I don't know. I started liking the gameplay a lot more. Okay, so we're I'm almost at my desk here, but I, one final thing that you brought up I want to talk about, which is vehicles. Um, 
one of the things, like, very, very early, like, one of the, I think, go all the way back to exploratory design, like, when we said we wanted to sort of play around in um, Japanese pop cultures, and I'll stress, when I say that, I mean pop culture from Japan, created by Japan, about Japan. Um, mechs and, and giant machines are just such a big part of a lot of the storytelling. And so we were very excited by vehicles representing mechs and things. So talk a little bit about making making vehicles. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean as you said, there, yeah, there's just a ton to play with from from, you know, from subject matter and stuff here, um, right? Like, at least with vehicles, like, there's there's not a ton new that I did in terms of, right? Like, there, there's not really a lot of mechanics that I can think of. I mean, like, there, there are a ton of cool, interesting car designs. Like, there are a ton of vehicles in the set where I feel like I do pretty new and novel stuff that's really fun, fun, exciting. So, like, right, th- this is more just like, oh, there are these really cool things to draw from, and we can make cards that are really top down for those particular vehicles and yeah yeah there, there's a lot of livable stuff but yeah there's there's we, we didn't really do it really yeah reinventing of the wheel here in terms of how the mechanic works or a variant on the mechanic right but this is a good example where one of the one of the things that top down does for you is it allows you to say hey we're going to capture something and then we can just use existing magic mechanics to capture something and it's not that we read, like, vehicles are mostly vehicles, but they have a flavor, like, how we handle it flavorfully is just different than a lot of other worlds. That, like, if I just show you random vehicles, you know when I'm showing you Kamigawa. Yep, yep. Yeah, no, they're, they're, yeah, I love, I love, I love a lot of the cards here, so, yeah. So, anyway, this was, uh, I will say, David, it's funny, um, I'm so excited, like, I work on a lot of sets, obviously, but this was one of the sets that I was super happy with how it ended up. I mean, you got you, your team did a great job. Like, kind of the whole the whole role of how this works is Vision says, "Here's an idea for something," and then set design just makes it way better, you know. And I, I really appreciated like you guys did such an amazing job. The set turned out really, really good. I'm really happy with it. Yeah, thank you. Um. So I want to thank you for joining us. Dave, it's fun. I, I love having guests on, and it's except, especially exciting to talk about current sets. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it's 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 tough. It's tough juggling all these sets. I mean, I guess you know them way better than I do, but it's like, what did I do on this set? I, I know. They, <laughs> I always joke like uh, every once in a while on um on my podcast, on my uh, podcast, not my podcast, on my blog, someone will talk about that. I go, let me list every set I have to currently care about. I'll list all the code names and everything. And like, it's always like, here's 15 sets I have to keep in mind. So it is, it is a little daunting, but uh, this set does stand. I, 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 I have more memories of making this set than the average set, just because there are a lot of very specific things in the set that I remember. So, um, but anyway, uh, I can see my desk. So we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thanks for joining us, Dave. Yeah, I hope everyone enjoys the set. And for everybody else, I will see you next time. Bye-bye.